there's an activity that I basically knew nothing about until I moved here to Colorado, and it is this activity right here, slack lining. Has anybody heard of this before? Has anybody tried this before? So this is like a total like college student hippie activity, you know, just tying a rope to some trees and trying to walk across it. That's basically the entire point of it. And a coworker of mine brought one of these things to work one day and he tied it up on some trees and I'm watching him just walk across this thing like he's going for a morning stroll or something. And so I was like, you know what? I'm at least a little above average athletically, I think, you know? Well, how hard could it be to walk across, you know, a piece of fabric? Well, apparently it's very difficult. Because I was on my butt in half a second after just stepping on this thing. And after so many tries, I gave up. I literally could not walk 10 feet across this stupid slack line. So if any of you know how to do this, you can give me some tips after the service because I have no idea. And what's funny to me, though, is there are so many things in life that look a lot easier than they actually are. A lot of you today... You're going to go home after church and you're going to enjoy the rest of your afternoon and you're going to sit on your lazy boy with a drink in one hand and a chicken wing in another and you're going to have 72 different pieces of commentary for Russell Wilson and how he should be doing his job. And yet if you were on the field in half a second, you would have a 300-pound lineman sitting on your face if you tried it. That's true. I remember when I first got into ministry, I'm looking at these pastors, I'm like, oh, that preaching thing. So you just pick a verse out of the Bible and you talk about it for like 30 or 40 minutes, if it's me, let's just be honest. And then I tried it. I was like, oh, it's not exactly that easy. And if any of you would like to try it sometime, come free and talk to me. I'd love to give you the opportunity to experience it. But there is one thing actually that I don't think we think often about that is a lot harder than it sounds or even it looks sometimes. And it is living out the Christian life. I think we sometimes, as pastors, are even tempted to try to make it sound easier because we want it to sound attractive. So we say, hey, give your life to Jesus. He's going to forgive you of your sins. You're going to go to heaven. Your life is going to be so much better. And again, I believe all those things, but we try to make it sound like, and everything's just going to be better in your life and so much easier, and it's going to be amazing. And then you actually try to do it. And if you really, really try to do it, you realize, oh, this is not as easy as it looks. Because you'll read a verse and Jesus will be like, hey, you got to forgive those people you hate. And then you try it. And you're like, I think I forgave them, but I think I still kind of hate them. I actually still kind of hate them a lot. Why is this like not working in my life at all? You know, uh, you try to just get in a community. God's like, you got to care about community and other people. And if you're honest with yourself, you're like, well... I kind of don't like people that much. All you introverts in the room, you're like, I actually don't really want to be around people that much. This is not that easy. I don't want to socialize. I don't want to get in a group. That's not really for me. Even God's like, I want you to prioritize a relationship with me. I need to be the most important thing. And you're like, you know, it's really hard to fit the 10 minutes of Bible time in around all my Netflix shows that I'm trying to keep up with. That, that, truly though, it, it, it's a reality. I, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. I thought it's just funny if you really acknowledge this. He says this, no one knows how bad they are until they have tried hard to be good. That's just the reality. It's the experience you have. If you even attempt this thing, you are going to fall short so many different times. And the whole faith thing sounds great. But then you realize it is much harder than it actually looks. And I'm just so, so excited for this weekend because we are kicking off our fall series. We are calling Bringing Faith to Life. And 
We are going to go through the entire book of James in the Bible together as a church during this fall season. And I think this is going to be an unbelievable experience because James actually wrote this letter as a way to help people actually put their faith into action, to bring it to life and give it vitality. So we're going to go through the whole letter. And some of you guys, you're going to love James. You're going to love this dude because he is blunt he is straight to the point. He doesn't hold any punches. There is no sugarcoating to this thing at all. But he also loves just to talk about very real practical life stuff. So in these coming weeks, we'll talk about everything from handling problems in your life, making decisions, the power of your words and the impact it has on your life, conflict resolution and prayer and how to actually make it work. And for some of us in here, this will be the first book of the Bible you read through from start to finish. And that is a really cool milestone to hit as somebody who is going in their faith. And I want to challenge every single person in our church to really take this series seriously, to dig into James, to read it. It's actually only five chapters. You can read it in about 15 minutes in one sitting, 20 if you went to public school. And it's really not hard. And I want to challenge you because read it a lot. You know, the scripture is about, you got to percolate in this sometimes. It's not about just a one-time reading. So really get into this with us. It is going to change so many of us, many of us, not just individually, but I really believe this is going to be an experience for our church as we grow together and really see a fresh vitality in our faith. So we're literally going to start from the very top. We're going to go through every word of this letter in these coming weeks. And right here, chapter one, verse one, this is what it says, James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So a little context here. James is actually writing to a group of Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago. That's that 12 tribes reference. He's just making an attachment to their Jewish heritage. And these people are being treated so badly because of their faith, they actually are now having to leave their homes and their towns because of the persecution. Talks about them being scattered. Now, James is a fascinating historical figure because he was actually the half-brother of Jesus himself. They had the same mom, but a different daddy, all right? And that's a whole other story you'll probably hear around Christmas. But James grew up with Jesus. Could you imagine growing up with Jesus? Could you imagine that experience? Could you imagine going to Mary, your mom, and being like, Mom, Jesus hit me. And Mary would say, then you definitely deserved it. <laughs> we know whose fault it was if that happened. So James knew Jesus as a child. He grew up with this guy. But what is so interesting about James is he went on his own journey when it came to his own views of Jesus. Because he didn't believe Jesus was God or the Savior for a good portion of his life. Look what it even says at one point about Jesus' experience of his own family. John 7, even his own brothers did not believe in him. What would it take for you to believe that your brother or sister was God in the flesh? What would it take? Because James thought Jesus was crazy at different times of his life. Like his family thought Jesus was literally insane, which is understandable. James wasn't convinced by the crowds that started amassing around Jesus. He wasn't even convinced by the miracles he saw Jesus do. There was a moment in James' life when he saw his own brother nailed to a cross from an unjust sentence. And he thought that was the end of seeing his brother. And then James himself 
saw his own brother alive and well again three days later. And that was the moment Jesus was no longer just an older brother to James. He was his Lord and Savior. And that's why you see James say, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the brother. He's like, oh, he is much more than the guy I grew up with in my house. And James will go on to be one of the most influential leaders of the early church. And so you might be here today and you're kind of going on that same journey James went on. You're not super convinced. Maybe you've been, been exposed to Jesus through church or religion or anything. And you're like, I'm just not quite there yet. I just want to encourage you, go on this journey with us through this series. See if some of the things that James says doesn't kind of give you a different angle and perspective to see Jesus at. And you might even see your own perspective changed as well. So James now digs into the letter, which if you think about this, this was written 2,000 years ago. And you're going to see this is why God's word is so powerful. It's not just some interesting thing that was written 2,000 years ago. It is a living, active word that speaks to us even today. This is very timely even for our moment here. It says this in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, what's that word? We'll come back to that. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the whole theme here is going to be trials. And James is going to start out by talking about this idea of joy in trials. Now, I just want to be honest here for a moment. When James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, when I first read that, I get a little bit uncomfortable. Even after all these years of knowing about this verse and reading it, it still kind of makes me squirm because at the surface level reading, it kind of sounds like a cliche to me. You know, like, okay, just consider it pure joy. That's what Christians are supposed to say, right? Sounds kind of shallow. But on another level, it kind of sounds like a contradiction. Like, James, you're asking me to experience two things that are completely opposed to each other at the same time. So, like, how can I be happy and sad at the same moment? You know, that doesn't really sound right. But on another level, it kind of just sounds condescending. You know, James doesn't sound like a very compassionate, empathetic person right now when he says this. And... James doesn't even offer a disclaimer. You know, he says trials of many kinds, all different varieties. I would hope he would say, well, unless you're going through something truly tragic, because then that would be understandable. And that's where this almost can feel a little bit calloused. It's like, James, don't you know what I'm going through? You wouldn't dare say that if you knew my particular situation. The one thing I experience as a pastor that's probably a little unique compared to other vocations is I actually get exponential exposure to trials in people's lives. There is almost never a week that goes by in our church where I do not hear about some difficulty, some situation, some horrific event going on in somebody's life. I think about just our church alone, just this year, multiple, multiple people trying to navigate job loss and the massive financial pressure that is put on them. We've had multiple cancer diagnoses in our church of people young and old. We've had couples navigating unfaithfulness and trying to figure that out, divorces and getting on the other side of that. We've had people have death of parents, death of spouses. We've even had some people in our church lose their children this year. You know what I don't say to people? When I get this news, consider it pure joy, brother. 
Consider it joy, sister. It's all good. God's got this. Didn't you read that verse in the Bible? All right, let's close this thing up in prayer. Honestly, I don't have words most of the time. I do not have words for some of the things people are going through in our church. And the hard thing about trials too is it messes with your worldview. Because if you have attempted any type of faith or relationship with God, you have these moments where you're like, well, hold on. I thought God loved me. I thought God had all the power and all the control. And I can understand some inconveniences in my life. You know, I'm expecting that. It's, you know, some hard stuff. But why would God allow the freight train to blow through my life? Like, that's a little bit outside the boundaries, God. That's going just a little too far to allow that thing into my life. And then your brain goes all sorts of crazy. Did I do something wrong? Did, did I deserve this? Is God mad at me? Am I being punished in some way? Have I been abandoned? How long is this going to go on? And James just makes one thing painfully clear. Already in the first or second sentence of this letter, he says, nobody gets a free pass from trials in their life. And it doesn't matter how good of a Christian you are, how much you love God, how consistent your church attendance is, you're going to experience trials of many kinds. That's the one guarantee you have in this life. But James says, as you experience these trials, they're going to do something to you. They are going to test you. They're going to test your very faith. Now, when we hear the word testing, we automatically go to like school mode, right? We think like, okay, where's the scantron? I got to start filling out the, the multiple choice questions here to pass this test. It's a pass or fail situation. I've mentioned this in another sermon, but it's never bad to do review. I want to make sure we really understand what James is saying. The word James is using is actually referring to a refining process. So it's this idea of taking all this rock and ore and putting it inside a crucible, this thing that holds all of it, and then that crucible being put in a furnace. Now, the furnace can be turned up as much as 2,000 degrees. And what happens is the extreme heat actually causes the impurities to rise from the top and come out. And if you go through this process enough, you can have something come out on the other side, like 24 karat gold. And all 24 karat gold is, is gold that has no impurities in it. All the impurities have been completely burned out. Now, what James is saying is many times the only way God can get certain impurities out of your life is through the heat of trials. And he says, as you go through this testing process, it's going to start cultivating something in your life. He calls it perseverance. Now, I want to make sure we understand exactly what James is trying to say here, because I know we kind of know what that word means. But what James is saying is the commitment to bear up under heavy weight for a long period of time, leading to greater strength. So hear this. James is saying any testing process you go through by a trial is not a pass fail situation. It's a strengthening process in your life. That is what James is saying. Now here's the rub about this whole experience we have. Everyone wants the product, but no one wants the process. Everybody wants six-pack abs. Did I just hear someone say amen? I don't know. I thought I heard somebody. <laughs> 
Not many people actually want to eat well and exercise consistently to get to that level. It's true. A lot of people want to get out of debt, become financially independent even. There's not a lot of people that actually want to stick to a budget and limit their lifestyle so they can do that. Everyone would say, yes, I would love to experience God, his power and his presence. If he's real, I want all of it. Nobody wants to experience trials. Oh, we want the product, all right, but we do not want the process that will actually get us there. I was on YouTube like a week or two ago, and you know how the algorithm suggests all these random videos to? Well, this video pops up in my suggested thing, which was World's Strongest Man Competition which felt like a slap in the face from YouTube. I'm like, what are you trying to tell me, Google employees over there in California? And so like, it's just random view. Well, I get, I don't know, they, they got me. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go kind of see what's in this. Well, what was crazy to me is there was literally a guy in this competition pulling an airplane. This dude was pulling an airplane. I actually have even a little clip over here because it's so insane. Look at those dudes' arms. <laughs> this is a next level human being pulling an airplane. Now you look at a guy like that, whose legs are as big as tree trunks, that is not the first time he's put his muscles under some trials. That is not the first time he has been tested physically. That is years and years of training, sweat, blood, and tears. And you see, James is saying, God is trying to make you stronger. Not with your biceps, but in your soul. And the weight of trials is one of the ways God is going to build spiritual muscle in your life. But James says, if you will really lean into this process, if you allow God to take you through it, this perseverance will even lead to something else. He says, maturity, this completeness, completeness not lacking anything. Now, you kind of hear that and you think, well, hold up. There's a lot of stuff I still lack in my life. And James isn't talking about, again, financial independence. He's not talking about getting to a place in your life where everything just becomes easy and all of the trials get taken away. He's talking about getting to a place in your life where you achieve something money cannot buy, where you experience something that a degree cannot give you, that the corner office can't achieve or some title from a job. He's saying you can get to a moment in your life where you do not lack anything you truly need a soul that has been refined and has now come out pure. There is one athletic event that I genuinely do not understand, and it is marathons. I don't understand these things. You sign up to be around a bunch, a couple thousand other sweaty, nasty people, okay, that are all running, strangers, by the way, and you go through 26.2 miles of torture, you pay for it. You know what you get at the end of the race? A t-shirt. You get a t-shirt. Now, you gotta help me. That's just ridiculous, all right? Somebody else has to feel like this is crazy. I, I genuinely don't understand it, but one thing that is just really, really unbelievable to me about the whole marathon experience is they've done studies on this. You know when the range of miles, when most runners quit and they give up in the middle of the race? You know when it happens? It's between miles 18 and 23. They call us hitting the wall sometimes. Now think about this. You've spent months and months, sometimes years of your life training for this. 
You've made so many sacrifices, planned your life around this. You've done all the hard work and you have already won 23 miles. You are three miles away from completing this thing and you tap out three miles away. What they found through these studies is that so often it's not that our bodies actually give out when this happens. It's the relief from the pain becomes more of a priority than the joy of finishing the race. Some of you are in the middle of a race of a trial right now. And some of you may not know it, but you're at mile 23. You feel exhausted, you are worn out, you're not sure you can make it another step, but I need to tell some of you, you are so much closer than you realize. The finish line is right around the corner. There is a rest stop coming. You don't think you're ever gonna be happy again. You don't think you're ever gonna get through this and God is saying, I promise you, that finish line is right there. It's coming. Some of you guys are like, I am never going to recover. My life is never going to be the same. It's never going to be what it was. It's never going to come back. And God is saying, I promise you, there is a finish line of victory right down the road. You just need to keep running. You can make it. James says, let it finish its work in your life. There is a finish line to every single trial. And it's not even just that you'll make it. You can have joy even in the middle of the race, even in the middle of the exhaustion, even in the middle of the discouragement, because you can know without a shadow of a doubt, I know this is not because God has abandoned me. I'm not running this race alone. I can know that for sure. This is not just random, pointless suffering in my life. If you have a trial, you can know without a shadow of a doubt, God is using this not to burn me to a crisp, but to burn me clean. This is what God is doing in my soul. He will not even just transform the situation for good and the purposes in your life. He will transform you in the process. So, I need to encourage some people here today. I know there's some trials in this room right now. I know there are. Keep running your race. Just one step at a time. You can make it. You're going to make it. And you are going to experience a perfect product on the other side of this process. A stronger you, a better you, a more faithful you, a more patient, a more joy-filled you. God is working something out in your life if you will lean into the process. There is joy in trials. Now, James keeps going, though. He talks now about wisdom in trials, wisdom for trials. Look what he says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So trials and, fati and fatigue that comes with them is not the only thing we experience. Many times trials come with not knowing at all what to do. You know, go through a trial, you're like, okay, is this the end of this relationship? Do I throw the towel in? How do I actually fix the financial mess? 
What do I do about this difficult child? What is the best path forward for this diagnosis? What treatment plan do we choose? And so many times we don't know where to go. We don't know what decision to make, what direction to choose. And James makes a bold claim here. He says, God has the insight that you need. He has supernatural wisdom that you're looking for. And he wants to give it to you in generous amounts. You just need to ask. But there is one critical piece here that can undermine the entire process. James calls it doubt. Now there's an interesting kind of nuance to what James is saying here. This idea of doubt that he's talking about is this idea of actually holding back and withdrawing. And so James is pointing to this temptation that we all have when we go through trials. That's when we're most tempted to pull back from God sometimes. We don't trust him. We don't feel like he's coming through. So we're like, you know what? I just don't know if I really want to do this God thing anymore. And James says, if you do that, you're about to get blown around like a wave at sea in the wind. Okay, you are just going to be blowing all over the place. I know the trials are making you want to pull back, but this is the time you have to lean in. You need to anchor yourself in God during these trials if you want to get the wisdom you need. I, uh, I've been unemployed two times in my life. And I can testify that it is never fun. It is not a good time to be without a job. I know there's a handful of people in our church right now. You're navigating this right now. And I have so much grace for that because you're watching your bank account go down and your money not going up. Okay. It's a very painful thing to see every single week. And especially for me, a seminary degree doesn't exactly qualify you for a lot of jobs. All right. I'm very unemployable in a lot of industries, every single industry, actually, I'm very unemployable. The first time I was unemployed, I honestly just fell apart. I, I just lost it. I mean, I'm a grown man with a kid, a wife, and even a dog. And we had to move back in with my mom. We had to transition and figure all this stuff out. And I honestly started to withdraw from God. I thought my life had hit a dead end. I just thought it was over. I was just like, okay, I guess I peaked at like 24. I guess that's just what my life was. And Nicole and I survived that experience. We survived. But my own response to it made the experience so much worse than it had to be. It just made it so much more painful. And so then I ended up unemployed a second time because I guess I didn't learn my lesson the first time. God's like, we're going to take you around that block one more time, Brian. And what was so interesting, though, is during that experience, this verse is exactly what God convicted me with. He's like, don't you dare be double-minded. Don't get blown around this time, Brian. And I just made a decision that time around. I'm like, okay, I will not allow this thing to blow me around. I'm going to stay anchored. And I didn't do it perfectly, but I'll tell you. I pressed more into God in that season than many other seasons in my life. I was like, I am going to lean in hard. I am not withdrawing at all from you, God. And we made it through that one too. Nicole and I survived that. But I came out the other side so much better for it. Just a greater sense of God's presence and his power in my life. And the cool thing is, if you go on this journey with God of really seeking him during trials, trying to discern his will, he does give you the wisdom. And he does it in so many different ways. Sometimes God just drops a person right into your life. It's a connection. It's an open door. It's just a word that gives you a totally new perspective. Sometimes it's literally reading the Bible. He just gives you a verse and something in you happens. You just know that was God speaking to you in that moment. I've had random articles on in the internet that I've read, even social media. I, I know I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. I've had social media God moments. I'm like, that just felt like God right there just talking to me. And it's weird. God knows how to get you the wisdom. And the promise he makes is, I will make sure that you end up in the right direction. You get the insight you need 
and to help you navigate these waters, you just need to stay anchored. Do not withdraw. Stay close to me and you will not get blown around by the wind. There is wisdom for your trials too. He promises it. James even goes on though and he talks about perspective beyond trials. Look what he says in verse nine. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So what is James talking about here? He's talking about a very common struggle we all face in the middle of a trial, a sense of security. Because you see, when you're going through hard stuff, those are the moments you ask, am I actually gonna be able to stay above water? Am I actually gonna be able to get across this ocean and these waves and make it to the other side? And James zooms in on a very common struggle we have in trials, and it is our relationship with money. James is pointing to this fact that this is usually the most common substitute for God in our life. Because even if you have nothing else, if you do have enough money, you can at least pay the bills, eat food, and satisfy most of your core needs and desires that you have. But this is where James makes it very interesting. He says, wherever you're at on the financial spectrum, you're going to struggle. You will struggle. If you have less, he says, again, people in humble circumstances, he says, here's your struggle. You're going to have a false sense of insecurity in your life. You're going to struggle with fear. You may even struggle feeling inferior to other people. You might even feel like a failure at times with where you're at in life when it comes to your money. But he says, if you're somebody who has a lot of resources that you'd be even considered rich by people's standards, you are going to be tempted to have a false sense of security and even importance sometimes. And you will make the mistake of thinking that your resources are going to be able to meet all your needs and last as long as you need them to. I have a mentor in my life, just really important godly man who I love dearly, and he's in his 70s now. We went out to lunch um, a while back, and he said something during this lunch that haunts me to this day. See, this man has been extremely successful. Not just like, oh, he did well. He is fabulously wealthy. I mean, if you looked at his life, he has the ultimate dream house plus whatever is above that. He can go wherever he wants around the world at any point in time. He's got total freedom. He even has horses. If you own a horse stable, you did something right in your life. Okay, this dude's got horses. All right, he can just ride horses around whenever he wants. This is the next level living. And as I'm sitting across the table looking at what you would define as the epitome of success on so many levels, he said this, Brian, money was not good for my family. And I was like, do you want to give some to me? <laughs> I'm sitting right here. I mean, we can do this right now. I'll help you out. But this is what he said. We got to a point where we stopped needing God. He said, I remember the moment it happened. We didn't need God anymore. And what James is saying is sometimes the greatest trial is to have no trials. On the outside, your life looks great. You can get whatever you want, live the way you want, but your soul may start to shrivel and become numb because of all of the worldly comforts you have. 
So James says, you need a fix for both of these challenges. Whether you're rich or poor, there is a fix. And he says, it's actually perspective. You need an eternal perspective for your life. So he says, if you're poor, if you're in a tight financial situation, you need to understand that your measure of the value of you as a person does not come from your money. He says, you actually have a very high position if you are poor because you are inheriting a kingdom. You have a very rich daddy, okay? And you're gonna be moving into his palace one day. And this life is very short. So whatever your financial situation is, your trajectory is always up and to the right as you're moving towards God and eternity. But if you're wealthy, James challenges you with a different perspective. He says, if you've got a lot of money, you've got to realize how fleeting your money and your life actually is. And he uses this image of a flower dying. He's like, these things blossom and fade away so quick. Nicole started a garden this summer, which I wanted no part of, but I had fun watching her slave away on it. But my kids at one point in time, they, all, they each planted a sunflower seed. And I was shocked to see these sunflowers grow to over six feet tall. They were gorgeous. They were huge and yellow and vibrant. I was like, wow, those actually turned out really good. Well, honestly, it was like less than a month of these flowers just flourishing. And like just the other week, I'm outside. And this is what Easton's flower looks like now in our backyard, just falling over and shriveling. So I pulled my son outside and I said, son, that is your life right there teachable lesson for the six-year-old. I said, that's what you need to know about your life. That's what God says about you, okay? Just so you know. And no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how comfortable you feel, no matter how successful you've been, your life and your money is going to fade away. And so when you're facing a trial of thinking you're secure because of your resources or you are totally insecure because of what you don't have, you need to make sure where your ultimate security comes from. And James says, it is God himself. So I'm even wondering today, what are you looking to for security right now? What's that your thing you're hoping is going to solve all your problems? What's that thing you think is going to save you from some of the trials and struggles you're facing right now? You better make sure it is the only thing that can really give you true security. And that is God himself. James finishes this whole thing out with a final promise here. He's talking about rewards after trials now. And he's going to finish this whole section here in verse 12. He says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Did you see the promise? It wasn't that every single trial in your life is going to be tied with a nice pretty bow in this life. It wasn't that you're going to understand every single dynamic to the trials you face and get all the reasons from God for why they happened. The promise is if you will persevere with God through your trials. You will eventually attain an eternal reward that will far outweigh any trial you ever face. James is talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about true riches and rewards. And words can't even speak to this. The only way James can even begin to try to describe it to us is he's like, it's kind of like a crown. The ultimate symbol of victory, of riches, of status. He's like, that's the only way I can even get you to start thinking about what this experience is going to be like, these rewards that are coming. There's a, a famous saint named Teresa of Avila. She, she lived 500 years ago. And she said this, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. 
as bad as it's ever going to be, when you have true eternal perspective, you know where you're headed, it's like one night at a Motel 6. Not great, but not a big deal. There's a character in a book called The Brothers Karamazov, written by Dostoevsky. Ivan is his name. He says this at one point in the book. He says, I believe that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. The grace, the justice, the goodness, power, and even perfect plan of God will prevail in your life. And it will prevail for all of human history and even eternity. Which is why James says, do not give up. Stay the course. Keep running your race because there is a crown coming. There's a couple in our church who, as the series was coming up, we started talking to them and they were more than willing to share even some of their own experience of their journey in hopes that it would be a huge encouragement to some people in our church. So let's take a look at the screens and learn about their story. So I'm Graham Miller. I'm Courtney. <laughs> and we met in high school. We've been living in Colorado for 11 years and we've been married for four years. When I first met Graham, I thought he was adorable. We eventually started dating two years after that and he wanted me to move out to Colorado with him. And I said, definitely not. And then he brought me out to visit. He had family out here and sure enough, I fell in love with Colorado and I saw a future for myself as well. And we've been here for 11 years. Doctors urged me to go get a colonoscopy and I said, there's no way I'm too young. And I fought them on it and they really pushed for me to get it done, thank God. And I went and had my colonoscopy. Um, and then after I woke up from the anesthesia, my doctor was standing there by my bedside and he said, you know, I've called your husband in and I'm going in and out of anesthesia, kind of confused. And he was like, you know, I, I wanna tell you and your husband that I did find a mass. Um, we're gonna send it to pathology, but we do believe it could be cancerous. Once I did get that phone call from the doctor, he said, you know, it was pretty straightforward. And he said, I just wanted to call and let you know I got your test results back and you do have cancer. I immediately called Graham and was sobbing and it felt so surreal. He was actually luckily already really close to home. So he got home pretty quickly um, and we both just held each other and we were crying. I was mad. I was really mad. I didn't understand. When I first found out that she had cancer, I, I was in denial too. Just total shock. Like, no idea. No, no way this is happening to, to my wife and at this stage of our lives. Like, we are 33 years old. Like, this is, this is just crazy. That quickly evolved into, no, this, this is real and you need, to, you need to take, you know, you need to start conquering this. And, and, um, and then I, I broke down in tears and I, I 
really just didn't have any control over myself. We were just pretty much in tears for four hours straight that night. We were faced with ultimately three different choices and all were extremely different um, on which route to go. And some of those decisions that we had to make had some life altering um, risks with them. And it was really scary trying to figure out what to do and who to trust. We're talking about raising a family, you know, and just talking about kids' names and what we're gonna have a daughter or son, you know, for our first kid. And, and then just having a total wrench thrown in your life. Now we can't have kids, you know, uh, kids are now not an option for us. And that's what um, medical professions were telling us at the time, you know. During the chemo process, I really had to dig deep um, to get through it. You know, everyone hears of someone going through cancer and chemo maybe, or you see it in movies and whatnot, but it is a whole different ball game when you're the one sitting in that chair and getting poison essentially straight to your heart. Um, it really tests you and you really get knocked down hard multiple times and you have to keep building yourself back up. You can't eat, you can't drink. But yeah, I hit a very low point that I've never hit in my life where I didn't want to be alive. I didn't want to fight anymore. I felt more lost and just um, confused at the time. And I bent, like my mind definitely wandered into some dark places. I felt extremely lost. I knew like I needed to rely on something better, something bigger. And this was right at around three months after I started coming to Northern Hills. And the timing of events for me just lined up perfectly. I came to this church and people would stop on a dime and just start praying over us. And, and I just remember voicing my concern in my life to, to these people I've never even met before. My friend picked me up to take me to get some blood work done. And then I get to the lab and I get a phone call from my nurse in Fort Collins. And she says, hey, I have some good news. I said, what's that? She said, you actually don't have to do another round of chemo. Of course, I scream <laughs> in the lobby and I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, and I get in the car and I'm just in tears and I'm sobbing and I'm with my friend and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that was God. Like that was absolutely God. Every single day is a gift. And I'm just so grateful every day. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for a new day and for my health. Even during suffering, there is there is good. I mean, there it, it will it will change you. There's so many people that are struggling. Um, and that's where I tear up because I just know so many people feel lost um, and need help. And just knowing that you're loved, you are so loved. And there's a lot of hope to still hold on to you. Can we give Courtney and Graham a hand? Just thank them for sharing their story. Um, actually, uh, Graham and Courtney are just such a wonderful couple in our church. Some of you guys may not know, Graham is actually the sound engineer for our church right now. And Graham's in the back room. Graham, I just want to say we love you so much, man. We appreciate you. Love that guy so much. He's been such a blessing to our church. And it was honestly an inspiration, Graham, to watch you and Courtney go through that journey. We, we walked them through the whole thing. And um, it truly was an inspiration. Now, I know Courtney and Graham, they have had their own experiences, their own trials, their own unique situations. And you have your own story, too. You've been through your own stuff. You're going through your own stuff. 
But I know some of you, you might be in here and you're thinking, Brian, I'm not sure I'm gonna make it through this one. That this might be the one that breaks me. I'm not sure if I can persevere. And I need to tell you, do not stop at mile 23. You gotta keep running. And the reason I know you are gonna be able to finish this race is because somebody already did it for you. Hebrews is a book in the Bible, it says this, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus knew the joy of the resurrection was coming. He knew the joy of salvation was just three days away. And he persevered through all of that so we could experience eternal joy in him. So you can persevere because you have someone who already did it for you and his power, strength, and presence is fully available to you. You can have joy because Jesus already achieved it on your behalf. So hear me, if you are a Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to be. Keep running, take the next step, because every day you are one step closer to the eternal reward. Can we pray together, everybody? Father, I thank you so much for the hope we have in you. God, that you truly are our security. You are our joy. You are the source of wisdom itself. And the hope that we have to know that this life is not all there is. This is the worst it's ever going to be. It gets bad, Lord. We acknowledge that. But our hope is in you, the God who has defeated death itself. And so I thank you, Lord, that you promise victory through trials and that you even promise to use them in this life for our good. And I just wanna do something a little bit different today because I just know that there are some people in our church going through things and I want this to be an opportunity just to give this over to God, to invite him into your experience. So I just would love for this to be a moment where we can invite God in to some of our situations in lives. And this is just a, a moment to humble yourself and open yourself up to God. And I would just ask, if you are somebody who is going through some type of trial right now, you, you are needing wisdom, you, you are trying to run a race, you are needing help with even fresh perspective, would you mind if you could just even just slip your hand up just very briefly and just let us know so we can pray for you. If you're somebody in here that's like, Brian, I just have a trial going on right now. I just need God's help. I see your hand all over the place. We're so grateful for that. Just lift up. We are giving it over to God right now. I wanna pray over every single person in this room. Lord, I thank you so much for people just even reaching out to you right now. I thank you, God knowing that you're the source of strength, that you are gonna help them. But I pray right now, Lord, just for a fresh dose of encouragement. I pray for just fresh energy in their lives, fresh endurance. Lord, I pray for testimonies to come out of these situations, stories of your faithfulness, stories of your goodness and your power, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would fulfill your promise that you would develop perseverance in the people of our church and give them that mature completeness you promised, not lacking anything, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. Our lives are yours, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.